Hi, welcome to Ezra Magazine's special edition into the COVID-19 global pandemic. My name is Tanisha Bolger and I'm the editor here at Ezra Magazine. We've halted our interviews and features in arts and culture to bring you a special podcast to help inform and educate communities and individuals. We regularly use media information and up-to-date statistics from the World Health Organization. However, advice changes every day. Before you share or spread articles or news on social media amongst friends, it's important you fact-check the information before doing so. Always check with your local government, department, or if in doubt, the World Health Organization releases status reports on the COVID-19 global pandemic daily. Welcome to our second episode of the show, examining all things biology with microbiologist Dr. Lydia Angelova, who's usually based in Germany, but is now in Bulgaria on lockdown. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Before we get started though, I wanted to let you know about our new Patreon page. If you like the show and would like to show your support, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash Ezra Magazine. That's www.patreon.com forward slash Ezra Magazine. Here's the show. Uh, So just tell me your name uh, and what you do for work at the moment. So my name is uh, Lydia Angelova. I have PhD in microbiology and master's degree in biology, work as a researcher with different kinds of microorganisms across Europe and America. Some time ago, I started working like a science writer and science communicator since I think um, it's good to spread knowledge and in terms that I understand science well and I have the ability to translate it in more common language. I think can, I can use both my abilities and skills in science and talking and communication. And I uh, think that's it. Before we started the show, I sent Dr. Angelova a picture that was published by the CSIRO, which is an enhanced microscopic scan of the virus. If you want to see the image, it'll be linked for you in the show notes, but imagine a bright orange blob with some pretty little fluffy crowns poking out of them. This, ladies and gentlemen, is COVID-19 in all its infectious glory. So it is um, the, how the coronavirus looks under an electron microscope. You're looking at like a spherical kind of particle and yep. you can see some spikes which are kind of cylindrical enlarging actually at the end, like club-shaped. These are the proteins which, thanks to which the virus can infect cells. And so the they name... are specific proteins, is that correct? Yeah, and, um, the name comes from corona in Latin is crown. So it looks like a crown, very beautiful, but unfortunately too <laughs> dangerous. So. We also spoke about why the virus is so contagious. The answer to that question, Dr. Angelova says, is because the virus is smaller than what's usually seen for other viruses, which she suggests means that there are more virus particles per droplet. Whilst it's important to note, what we're discussing is what we know about the virus today, which is March 25th, 2020. As scientists are working around the clock trying to understand the virus, new research will be able to better understand its behaviour. The virus is too small 
much smaller than, for example, for, this could be one of the reasons it spreads so quickly, because in one drop we have more infectious agents, particles. This one, it could be one of the reasons as well. So uh, in terms of, so it, there's, because it's so small... Yeah, I mean, uh, it's my suggestion. There is not much information why. I mean, like, uh, it's just logical. It's smaller than the rest of the virus. And one, uh, we know that it's spread by um, droplets of mucus. And we have more viruses. It's super small. And as well, the other the other thing is um, the recent data, recent data shows that it could be spread by people who don't show any symptoms. And we just recently started testing and started testing people which come from countries where the virus is quite spread. So this also led to spreading quickly because normally in most cases you have the symptoms immediately. This could go kind of, let's say, without even noticing it. So So people can spread the virus without even knowing that they they are spreading yeah, exactly it's uh, it's uh, we know about this from december people go around christmas imagine how many people <laughs> visited families so it's it's a global world with uh, what is normal but uh, we didn't know in the past we have quite dangerous viruses uh, but they didn't they they always show symptoms which are quite visible and uh, you can catch, yes, yeah, something is going on with us, that virus. Uh, um, almost 50% of the cases could go unnoticed. So this is, could be, this could be one of the reasons. You also might be wondering about where the World Health Organization plucked 14 days from for people in quarantine. According to the World Health Organization, the incubation period means the time between catching the virus and beginning to have symptoms of the disease. Most estimates of the incubation period for COVID-19 range from 1 to 14 days, most commonly around 5 days. These estimates will be updated as more data becomes available. 14 days is what it's recommended, but... Of course, in biology, you have exceptions. As a yeah. biologist, uh, um, people sometimes ask me, can you tell me 100% about something? Okay, yeah. I will tell you. I can't tell you because every biological system, like humans, we are similar be. but different. Sometimes yeah. take longer, but if you don't have specifically symptoms for two weeks, it's okay. Yeah. This okay. is what we, it's decided um, the World Health Organization, it's full of smart people who know what. So this is what it's for now. Today is what day is today? March 24, yeah. Okay, so this is what we know, two weeks, what today is. Yeah, and I think it's, I, I'm so thankful that there are so many people who are working on this and trying to find a solution to obviously the vaccine, which we'll talk, we'll, we will touch on that later. <laughs> um, yeah. So just getting back to the virus itself. So for many people who probably don't understand the difference between a virus and bacteria, a virus is non-living. Is that correct? It's a philosophical question, yes, because yeah. it can live itself. <laughs> uh, so that's why, yes, when I talk about viruses, I don't use uh, biology because that to some 
scientists accepted like living some because it's kind of like some DNA with some proteins around and lipids, some don't, yes, but practically yes, um, it can live for a long time without being something in host. As in it can be sitting on a surface for a long time, still be active and then still be able to infect us, is that correct? Uh, yes, this is another thing we just don't know. Yeah. Uh, so we, um, it was, it is, uh, there is a new paper uh, which just states it can survive 17 days. That's from the, the cruise ship in Japan, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, unfortunate place. That's, so they didn't that's say, incredible. yeah, it doesn't, doesn't mean that it can infect, but. If can survive 17 days, uh, yeah, we have to be very careful with this. Uh, and this is another new, new information. It's just from yesterday. I quickly found the article and report that Dr. Angelova was referencing. And according to NBC, which is an American publisher, among the 3,700 passengers and crew aboard the Diamond Princess, 712 became infected with the coronavirus. The report also said the coronavirus was found on various surfaces in cabins on the Diamond Princess cruise ship 17 days after passengers had disembarked. The CDC, or Centre for Disease Control, previously said the virus could be on viable surfaces for hours to days. The agency said in its, in its report on Monday that the virus found in cabins was before disinfection procedures had been conducted and that further studies are needed. So... Uh, why why is this virus so dangerous to the global population? Because a lot of, uh, I think a lot of Australians at the moment are still treating it like it's the flu. So, yes. why, so why is it so dangerous to, to everybody? Yes, um, the thing is that uh, the um, people who die from flu are about 1%. But people who die for COVID-19 are 3.5%. This is so worrying. So 5% increase. Yeah. Yes, it's quite a big number. It spreads quickly. So I heard a lot about you Australians. You are like more laid back and you like to take the life easier. I know some people from Australia, but this is a serious thing. We and don't knows are more than knows. Like we don't know much more than what we what know we know. But yeah. uh, it spreads quickly, affects older people and people who have chronic disease. Yeah. And this is also is worrying of course. So if we can do something to stop it, we should don't we? Sure. I mean, it's the logical. Yes, the logical thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And the, and obviously the World Health Organization is advising to keep distance from people as much as possible, stay at home. Um, mm -hmm. And because at the end of the day, we are the people that can make the biggest difference and try to make this easier on healthcare workers. Because like you said, the virus is so contagious, it's spreading quickly. And we just don't know what's in store, especially over the next couple of months or even possibly years. We just, yeah. So um, at the moment, do we know if it's spreading through the air, as in aerosols, or is it more contained in the mucus and like water droplets from someone's cough or sneeze? Uh, so it's, it's um, 
more likely by droplets. Um, by droplets? By aerosols, yes, it's less likely to happen, but this is the information we know for now. After we recorded the episode, Dr. Angelova sent me an article by an online website called New Scientist. New Scientist is based in London in the United Kingdom and is a popular weekly science and technology magazine. In the article, author Graham Lawton says that research published by Jeffrey Sharman of Columbia University in New York and his colleagues analysed the course of the epidemic in 375 Chinese cities between the 10th of January, when the epidemic took off, and the 23rd of January, when containment measures such as travel restrictions were imposed. The study concluded that 86% of cases were undocumented, that is, asymptomatic or had only very mild symptoms. The study also mentioned that even though the asymptomatic people were only 55% as contagious as people with symptoms, they also found that 79% of further infections were due to the asymptomatic cases, as there were more of them and the people were out and about more. In Australia, uh, so this is one of the questions that's pretty controversial. So in Australia, I guess, and in other countries, it's, it is pretty controversial to such shut schools. Um, looking at the paper that you gave me uh, on March 12th, Uh, that examines the epidemiology, clinical features, diagnosis, treatment and prevention options in children. Um, I have a couple of questions around schools. (laughs) Um, So preliminary evidence suggests children are just as likely as adults to become infected with SARS-CoV-2 but are less likely to be symptomatic or develop severe symptoms. Does that mean, for instance, if a school stays open, the children can pass it around to each other with no symptoms, but then still transmit and spread to adults and other vulnerable age groups? Yes, this this is the problem. Yes, children can spread it. They're transmitters. They don't have symptoms. So if you know your child is sick, you keep it home. But in this virus... Children, especially under 10, are less likely to develop infection. And um, even when they tested COVID-19 positive, they don't show symptoms. And uh, this is the, yes, the biggest issue. And uh, children, um, they are in constant, uh, they, they can spread with their parents, but obviously as well, grandparents are often in contact with the children so it's tough decision but in europe is done some parts of europe children are not at school since like the beginning of march and unfortunately this is the only way children that's very nice it's very good that children seems less affected but spreading they can spread it so tough decision i know that's uh, not happening in australia but published in march 2020 by the world health organization and unicef a document called key messages and actions for covid19 prevention and control in schools is what schools and governments globally should be following although in the document it doesn't specify whether schools should be closed if no case of covid19 is present the advice is that students parents teachers and the community need to regularly practice physical distancing and increase hygiene measures both in the school and at home these include staying home when sick covering your mouth and nose with a flexed elbow or tissue when coughing or sneezing, dispose of used tissue immediately, washing hands often with soap and water and cleaning frequently touched surfaces and objects. 
document also explains that it is important to remember that COVID-19 does not differentiate between borders, ethnicities, disability status, age or gender. Education can encourage students to become advocates for disease prevention and control at home, in school and in their community by talking to others about how to prevent the spread of viruses. Maintaining safe school operations or reopening schools after a closure requires many considerations, but if done well, can promote public health. If you have a child who is of school age or you work closely with a school, I highly encourage you to visit the document and read up on the guidelines that include actionable practices for everyone in the community. What I really wanted to talk to Dr. Angelova about were vaccines. Dr. Angelova said it's a very long process. First, she said they start with the infection agent itself, in our case, which is COVID-19. Scientists start to research the disease, map its genetic information, and try to understand how it works. From there, they start to test potential vaccines on cell cultures grown in the lab. Then it moves to testing on animals, then once it has passed that stage, the potential vaccine is then trialled on humans. Humans, so it's quite a long process because with humans, you don't want to make any mistakes. So they have about four phases. Uh, first is just uh, test on clean out healthy adults to op optimize the dose shadow to see if it's safe, to see how the um, immunity responds to the to the um, to the vaccine. This is with healthy adults, they don't have any disease or anything. So this is small group of people, so we don't want to sacrifice a lot. Sometimes you can have, <laughs> yes, it's, it's uh, true in clinical research, it's very difficult. I, I spent some time in clinical research in America and um, took lots of classes, spoke with uh, volunteers. So yeah, so this is small group of people, healthy, they have tested constantly to see if something is not okay, to see if some the potential vaccine have some side effects, which are, if something happens, they stop it completely. So next stage, if it's everything's fine, they are going to test it on um, actually people who have the virus. Yes, they, they include a risk population, like people who may be more likely, may are more likely to have the, um, the virus, uh, the, yet again, the virus. And uh, optimize also the doses. Uh, it's a bigger group, like up to 1,000 people. And after goes third phase, which is about from up to 10,000 people. Again, uh, also we have wi wider um, population representative from the population, so we can see if. Um, um, in different age groups, how it works in different age groups. Sometimes they are different between men and women, thanks to our physiology. So it's the third phase, like safety, more like as a safety. And after that, we have uh, tests on about 100,000 people. This is the final test before it's uh, released for mass production. And um, unfortunately, it takes a long time. Just to recap, once the vaccine trials move to humans, it usually happens in four stages, increasing the sample size of human participants with each stage. The first stage consists of up to 100 people, the second stage up to 1,000, the third phase can be up to 10,000 people. The last stage is about 100,000 people, which is the final stage before it gets sold to the market. We are now in a rush to get the vaccine. Normally it would take years. Wow. Um, maybe about one year, 18 months, a year and a half. 
Uh, Sorry, it's it could uh, be anywhere from a year to 18 months. Is that correct? Yes, something like this. Yeah. COVID, they maybe will skip some of the okay, stages. Right. Yep. Since uh, we do want to have it as quick as possible, so maybe they will make some of the stages. Maybe they will merge some of the results from similar vaccines. It's what I suggest and what I read uh, because this is ex there is extreme pressure <laughs> to find new vaccine. But I again I, I want to tell the people I work as scientist half of my life. Uh, it's uh, very slow work and very difficult, and the results unfortunately can't come that fast. We are not in a Hollywood movie. So, so many scientists are working, but just we can't uh, test something on humans before we are sure it's not going. It's not going to have some unfortunate a negative effect. <laughs> effect. So this is a serious thing. I mean, imagine if you're the scientist who discovers something, and yes, at the end people die. It's very difficult situation. So that's why scientists and um, the World Health Organization, they all people like your journalists are just um, asking people just to follow common sense. Doesn't matter if your government is uh, recommending something or no. Just think about elders. If you're young, if you are healthy, yes. Less likely to have this, but there are some cases of young and healthy. Now I hope is not going we don't know why. I mean, you never know if you're healthy, actually, by the way. Immune system is not like state, like doesn't change. So basically, let's think about the people who may be affected. And if we don't go to parties, bars, we are going to survive. Yes. Um, and this is it. It's just common sense hygiene as well. I, uh, as we we when we had to chat with you it was about like people just discover washing hands is important <laughs> <laughs> yes like you think um like uh, yes you because i can tell you there is something quite dangerous and you carry this is equally in your excrements so it's can kill healthy person without problem no need a virus so washing hands is something important uh, hopefully people you're not, are not going to forget this and keep hygiene and highest level when you come from outside just change your clothes don't go with shoes inside you don't know what how just in case this is it it's just um so, is there anything else you wanted to say before we finish up it's just uh, i want to just um, beg people just think about the people who are vulnerable older people uh, doesn't matter, I say, doesn't matter what is the, your government recommendation, just um, if you have small kids, don't bring them to grandparents. Explain as much as you can, depends on the age they have to, about hygiene. And try to not make some many play dates. Um, and if you just guess, you think you are sick, you have some symptoms, just stay home. You can call some your doctor don't go to hospitals also it's important people who may have symptoms don't need to go stay home call some you have emergency numbers explain i may have this 
coronavirus, what should I do? Don't go to the hospital because you spread it. Like this is it, isolation, self-isolation and um, hygiene. Just be, think about the others. Okay, this is my final match. Think about the others. It's, um, it's bad, it's new, but I think we get over it if we are a bit more concerned about our everyday actions. Exactly. I think that's why it's so important to listen to listen to expert advice and listen to the people that are on the front lines as well. And that's that's staying home, that's washing your hands, not being in close contact with people. So thank you so much. That was absolutely fantastic. Hope you've enjoyed our second episode of Ezra Magazine's special podcast edition into COVID-19 with Dr. Lydia Angelova. For any of the articles or papers mentioned in the episode, please visit our show notes. Advice is changing daily, sometimes hourly. Please keep up to date with current health advice by visiting the World Health Organization's website and your local state government's website for local restrictions and health advice. To read our rolling stories, please visit ezramagazine.com. Stay safe, stay at home and wash those hands. 